This episode of the podcast is brought to you by hailing for a taxi to come pick you up, but then refusing to get inside unless you're the one who's allowed to drive. Don't you think it should cost less to be alive? (laughs) Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits, the podcast, the only podcast that spent their Thanksgiving on an unfolded table in the middle of Manhattan. I'm Frank. I'm Zach. And today we are doing 2021's The Humans. Mm Mm-hmm. You seemed. I feel like you didn't like this movie. I did actually. I, I did like this. Um, I feel like this was boring to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, before we, before we, uh, of course, jump into it, mm-hmm. let me give us the the basic rundown of everything that's going on. So, The Humans was made in 2021 or released in 2021. Uh, written and directed by Stephen Karam, who. Mm-hmm. I guess this is also based off of a play that he made. I was going to ask you, because I saw, like, when I was looking, like, for, for like, pictures to put up for the podcast, like, when this actually comes out, um, I saw a bunch of play ones, and I was like, weird? Like, yeah. was this a play first? Yeah, yeah, So he And he's the and he wrote it and mm. directed the play, too. So this is all him entirely. Okay. Uh, which I think is very interesting. I appreciate and, that. And I think that it, it makes it a more holistic experience, because you're then... You have the guy who literally wrote the play mm-hmm. to then make the movie, which is interesting because that means that he can really focus in on like the stuff that he wants to showcase. Because I would imagine that you can really kind of dig in deeper into like specific themes in a film versus a stage play. Yeah, because right? you can't show everything. In right, that. and you're you're relying on the audience to look at things and whatnot. But in a, in a film, when you have the camera pointed at this, it's like you have to look at this. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no other option. So anyway, really really appreciated that. Um, and this is starring one. I I always like to see Richard Jenkins. Yeah, he's fun. He he's really good. I mainly know him as like the dad from Step Brothers, but yeah. But he's always fun, like, with any role that he's in. Yeah. Um, so he plays Eric. There's a woman named, I guess her name is Jane, How I don't know how to pronounce How How Howdy Shell? Shell? Yeah, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, it's a not so name. easy doing all the names, huh? Uh, yeah, no. She a little plays pain Deirdre in the ass, isn't wife. it? Amy Schumer plays Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but spelled Beanie, differently. Beanie Feldstein plays Bridget. Not Bridget. Mm-hmm. Bridget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Stephen Yoon, who's like... I, I like yeah, Stephen Yoon. Yeah, he's good. Uh, he plays Richard. And then you have June... Squib, <laughs> what a squibboo! What a what a last name. <laughs> and she plays Momo, who's kind of like the mother of Eric, uh, and she has Alzheimer's or some type of dementia, yeah. I think. And basically, this is a film of three generations of them. Right, you have mm. the mom, the dad, and then their kids. Uh, besides Richard, who's Bridget's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, three generations of this family who are now spending their thanksgiving in a brand new well not brand new but a new apartment ish uh in manhattan which would be brand new to most people that live in manhattan yeah it's like wow this is big it's Mm. it's, it's large uh but obviously the 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 apartment is is old and it has a lot of history in there uh but it's 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 bridget's new apartment it's Mm -hmm. where she is where she moved out of i think connecticut uh, yeah, and overall, I want to say that I really, really, really like this movie. I do too. Again, I think this. I I think for this one, it might be easier to do the bad first because I have a lot less things to say bad yeah, about. Yeah, I pretty film. much have nothing to say bad. Yeah, I mean the the main thing again is that to most people, I think this will be a boring movie. To us, I really enjoyed this. Right. I felt compelled by the story that yeah, was being so, told. M- right. My m- Literally, my only con that I wrote down, and it's not a con for me personally, mm-hmm. and obviously clearly not a con for you, is the f- simple fact that this movie essentially doesn't have a plot. Mm-hmm. 
and you're essentially just hanging out with a family and they're just going about mundane conversations. Uh, and I think to a general audience, a lot of you may find that very, very boring and you're going to get midway through this movie and you're going to say, what's the point of all of this, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that's understandable. Yeah. Uh, to, I think, again, that's the general, the masses of the audience. To, I think, people who really, really love film, this movie is incredible. Mm-hmm. It is filmed so well. This it is, movie it is very well directed. Oh the, my god! The, the camera movements themselves, amazing. The choreography, incredible. Like everything, I felt like, wow, I'm really into this. Um, the only other bad thing I will say is, at points, it kind of comes off almost like Lamb, where it's like, what is the tone of this film? Because there's almost like two or three points where it feels like this could have gone in like a horror movie way. Yeah. And I'm glad it didn't because I was almost waiting for the end for it to do something like that. You're waiting for and the then woman it would just, with no face to show it, up. <laughs> yeah. It would have just ruined everything because you yeah. have scenes where it's like Eric's talking about like his dream and then like um, like somebody from the, the room up above like stomps or yeah. like a light goes out. Yeah. And then at the very end, like, you know, all the lights are out and he looks over at the distorted window when it's raining and I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna fucking ruin it by yeah. showing me the no-faced woman. Right. And I would have been really pissed off about that. So I'm glad that they didn't go that route. Yeah. Um, I have one other one, but I want to say it like after we're completely done. Okay. Um. So yeah, other I I can sort of agree. I like how this movie. I really really liked how this movie was filmed because mm-hmm. you're right. This movie is almost. It's pretty much filmed like a really well crafted horror movie. Yeah. The use of uh, just silence mm-hmm. and the sound design in this movie is absolutely insane. Yeah, like I love the fact that like there's little to no music in the film itself. Like there's no ambiance to the film. Like there's nothing where it's like, oh, this is the tone of the scene because there's like a background music. Right. It's literally just people having dinner except for one specific scene that I really enjoyed when – um, when Bridget is talking about like the music that she crafted yeah. and it's just blaring yeah, and it's so emotional because like that's the only piece of music that you get in the film. Yeah. So you... Besides like the one lone piano yes. chord that, that <laughs> is like dinging. It's mm-hmm. really cool though. But that scene like was just amazing because it's like you, you feel all the emotion from what she put into this music yeah. because it's like you're at a family gathering where they're showing off like what they have. Right. And it's, it's, it was really smart that her piece of music is kind of this classic take. It's it's very it's classical, right? Mm-hmm. Like she does classical music clearly, but it's more disjointed mm-hmm. and more chaotic. And it and it feels like, wow, this this music actually feels like it belongs on a film score. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like your cousin who's on SoundCloud who wants to be a rapper. <laughs> and like, he's going to make it, though. Don't you say anything bad and about him. he's, you know, like, yo, this is my new song. Like, it, it you know, they, they clearly, I think that it's like one of those situations in which the older generations and the people that are in that family don't really appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. But us as people looking from the outside in, you're like, wow, this is actually like a really beautiful and, and intense it, it's like what, maybe sixty second, maybe yeah. a sixty second scene, and th- and in that sixty seconds, you get so much emotion out of that piece of music, mm-hmm. and it feels 
like it belongs in the movie. It didn't feel like a random piece of music. It felt like this music is kind of exactly what this movie kind of needs. Exactly. And that's why I liked it so much because like it's the only piece that's in the film. Yeah. So it really speaks to the entire film halfway through the film. Yeah. One thing that I absolutely loved, and I, t- I kind of touched base on this a little bit when we did Wolf, mm-hmm. was the use of location mm-hmm. and, the, and the use of finding interesting ways to shoot a somewhat small location and still make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And this movie takes that to 11 because you are literally in maybe three different rooms. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're in like the main living room on the second floor. You're mm-hmm. in the the dining area where they where they end up sitting, which is on the, on the uh, first floor, the bottom floor. And then the kitchen. And then the kitchen. And then there's like quick shots of a bathroom and whatnot. And then, you know, a hallway. Mm-hmm. But those are basically, that's the entire movie. And then, yeah, there, I think there's one scene in which Richard throws away garbage in like the, the compactor room. And again, that's like a quick 45 second scene. Yeah. So for the majority of this movie, you are inside four walls. But it's filmed in such a way that it never feels boring and you never get tired of it. Well, that's what I love, too, is like there's so many shots where it's just a stationary camera, like about like maybe 10, 12 feet away from everybody of what they're doing. And it feels and again, this is one of the things that I loved about it. The the narrative of the film is so intimate, like it's so like secluded where, again, you feel like you're one of the family members just kind of like sitting in the other room waiting for dinner to be ready and listening to the conversation. Yeah. Like, besides the stationary shots, there's a lot of great shots where it's like the the zoom in, like the pan in, that I just felt were so, like, delicate of how the director actually, like... Handled them. Yeah, exactly. Like, specifically, there's a scene when... Eric is finally telling the family what his dream was about. And it's that slow It's just slow pan in. Like, it's just, like, slowly over the course of, like, two minutes getting closer and closer to him. And you can feel it where you're actually getting closer and just listening to his story. Yeah. And then he's the only one in frame. Right. So it's the only story that matters in the film. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really, really impressive on... The camera work and and just the the use of location. Everything in this movie, there's something that I think you can really, really learn if you're trying to be a filmmaker and you have no budget. Mm-hmm. Because clearly this movie must not... Like, I can't imagine this movie costing more than a million dollars to make because it, it's one location. Mm-hmm. And it, could, it probably could have been made in a month. Yeah. So... Everything, though, in in the frames are so important. Like, nothing feels wasted. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, like, the main thing that I noticed when I was watching it the second time around was every scene has something in it. He's either shooting through the arched doorway or he's shooting in a room and there's picture frames on the the floor or a statue of the Virgin Mary on the Mm -hmm. windowsill. And everything feels... Like it's necessary and it's and and it has a point of being there and it's not it's not only there for a more visually interesting shot but it's there because it has a meaning exactly and that's something that the that's you know with the new format we're gonna get to like the overall themes of this film I don't think that we can do it justice because it's gonna take us 
an hour and a half <laughs> just to just... get through every single theme. There is so much steeped in this movie, mm-hmm. and it somehow works where it it doesn't feel overbearing with the amount of stuff that is trying to be said and trying to be conveyed, yet somehow it almost feels like an endless amount of themes. Yeah, like you you get so much out of so little. And that's why, too, like there there's certain shots, too, where it's like when Eric is just kind of like looking on and like every kind of everything kind of seems like blurry and it's just like a f- super close-up shot of him. Like you're basically just seeing like his eyes, his nose, and his mouth. Like that's all you're getting. And you can feel that this is literally showcasing you through visuals like his mental state of just not knowing what's going to happen like you can feel like he's he's depressed and like he's got a weight on his shoulders and you don't know what it is at this point yet but it's so cool to see where it's just visually that like something is off about him and he's in his own little world yeah until somebody finally like is like hey dad you okay and then it snaps back to a framed out shot right and it's just so well done for a movie that really is about nothing. Yeah. Um, I would also say that this is probably... Listen, there are there are certain directors that get a lot of praise for their dialogue. Mm-hmm. This movie is probably the most realistic dialogue I've ever heard in a film. Mm-hmm. The way that it's delivered, right? So that that and that is absolutely everybody who is just a fantastic actor in this film. Everybody is just on their on their A game here. And I don't think there's one weak performance. No, everybody is great. And the dialogue feels so natural. Mm-hmm. It's so listen, like obviously Tarantino is known for great dialogue, but nobody in real life speaks the way Tarantino characters speak. Well, that's why, like, it almost seems like Cram was like, hey, Here's the general idea of the scene. Just talk. <laughs> yeah, that's and what like, it feels like. And, and it works because it's like, this is actual conversations. And you can feel where it's like, this is one of my things that I, I liked about it too, is like the subtle like tension building through conversation. Yeah. Like you can feel it where it's like, you know, when Eric and, and Rich are alone together and he's like, oh, you know, like the Broncos are up by nine. And he's like, oh, Cool. Yeah, like yeah, the f- <laughs> football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can feel like they don't have a connection together, right? And it's, it's just, the nuances, it's, so, it's, it's the subtleties, exactly. it's the pauses, it's the it's the them talking over each other mm-hmm. and then pausing and then trying to let the other one talk. It's the it's the subtleties that we have in real life and how people really do speak that I've never really seen conveyed in film to this degree. Yeah, like it's just the subtle jabs at each other too. Yeah, there's so much shit talking in this movie. And it's amazing too because it's like you can tell that like obviously this is a movie, but you can tell they're a family because of how like they take the jabs at each other and then they get pissed off. And then 30 seconds later somebody says something or like somebody makes a joke and then they're all cool again. Right, and there's never like an apology. Yes, you can tell they're which, that kind which, of family. Which, but also feels very realistic, mm-hmm. right? Because in my life, that's how I grew up. My parents would get into a big blowout fight, and then they would just ignore each other for f- six hours, and then my mom would say, hey, dinner's ready, and then that would break the tension. Yeah. And then they would just go about their days. There was never an apology. Mm-hmm. And that's not a healthy way of no. doing it. But that <laughs> it's a is, realistic way. But it's an extremely realistic way of doing it. And again, I've really never seen a film that 
that explores that type of dialogue that well, where you're just sitting there, you're like, wow, I can, I can see myself in these people. Yeah. I can see my family in this family. Like I, I really enjoyed the fact that you get these, these little hints at who they are as people too. Like the whole thing with Amy where like, you know, she has to go to the bathroom and you can see like from her glasses, like she's looking at something. yeah. Yeah. And then, I loved it where when she's on the phone with her ex-girlfriend and you don't get like the voice of her. It's all from Amy and it's all just from like, you know, what she kind of feels and how like the conversation really kind of turns from like, oh, hey, like, you know, how you doing? Oh, yeah, I miss you, too. Right. And then it's like, oh, no, no, no. No, I get it. Well, you don't have to say like Christmas, too. Like we can talk. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, you can feel how the conversation is going. Yeah. And she's one of my favorite characters in the film because of that. Like you, you get like just enough to know what she's going through. Yeah. And then you get like the whole thing where it's like, she's got to get the surgery to have like the colostomy bag put in. And it's like, again, it's just like one of those things that feels real. Like it feels like something where it's like, Oh no, I'll wait till like after the holiday to tell them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really just incredible, incredible work. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else that I thought was shocking, shockingly, I couldn't believe how impressed I was by it, mm-hmm. was the cinematography. Yeah. For the movies, I would say overall pretty dark, mm-hmm. and I don't mean thematically, which it kind of is, but I mean actual visually, because uh, it's kind of like a running joke in the movie that all the light bulbs yes. keep <laughs> popping and blowing up, and it gets to the point in where Bridget is like asking Richard, she's like, why didn't we tell the landlord to replace all the light bulbs? And he's like, because that's a ridiculous yeah. thing to do. It's <laughs> such a weird thing to Nobody ask for. Nobody says that. Nobody does that. Um, I was sitting there, and I was like, I would ask for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's so... It's somehow really beautiful. Mm-hmm. The movie is like... The, the shot in where Eric is drinking his beer and then the camera pans yes. down the beer bottle and then you're looking at the lights through the beer bottle and it becomes this orangey, goldish haze. And and it's just like, how is this so beautiful? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. The, the I mean, the only shot that actually does make sense when it comes to a visual, like, breathtaking, like, wow, that's a beautiful shot is when Bridget runs to the rooftop mm-hmm. and the camera follows out to the rooftop and then you have like the sunset of New York City. And it's like, okay, that's a really beautiful shot, but that makes sense because yeah. it's the sunset, you're outside, you can see the clouds. That makes sense. But everything else, just I couldn't comprehend how it just looks so good. And I'm like, yeah. why is the cinematography so fucking good? Like even at the very end with like, with Eric sitting like in the dark and you have the door open like to the side as representative of the tunnel. Right. And it's such a nice shot. Like yeah. you literally only have lighting from outside the hallway. And it was just such a great shot to show. And then one of my favorite ones too is the slow pan in a circle when they're as they're doing, doing pig. pig smashing. Yeah. Like it's it's so nice to see like just this slow movement that you can tell who's in frame because they're who's talking and they're just they're giving everything that they're thankful for and it just stays on them but it never the camera never stops it's just it's perfectly paced where they're done by the time that it moves to the next person yeah i mean there must have been so much choreography to be Mm -hmm. to be done and 
timing it exactly because I don't recall like when the camera's moving, it's at a very consistent speed, right? Mm-hmm. It's never like rushing to catch up or, or slowing down to slow down. It's just always perfectly moving. Mm-hmm. It really is genius. Like the one thing that I want to really, really uh, bring to everyone's attention, I guess would just be how impressive Steven's, directing is for this being the only feature that he's ever done Mm -hmm. i don't he feels so seasoned yeah like he feels like he's very comfortable in this role oh my god and it's insane because like the play beforehand like we were talking about it's stationary like it can only be in like one spot for the camera to showcase everything and now you have full control with a camera to move around the characters as you choose yeah and he knows what he's doing. Like I mean, he's clearly he, he obviously put like time and effort into this, and it's a film that makes it look like it doesn't, yeah. and that's very hard to do is to make it look effortless. Yeah, it's it's really impressive work all around. Uh, again, I think that this is really really great acting because it takes a really good actor to kind of similar to what you were saying is make it feel effortless mm-hmm. and forgetting that they're actors and because i think that this movie is a prime example of completely giving yourself to those characters and and losing yourself in the conversation and never feeling like oh right you are acting right Mm -hmm. this is this is unrealistic in in some in some way everybody's reaction to how something is said feels completely realistic how how the dialogue is delivered how they and again like what we were saying with the nuances everything just feels so real yeah and you really feel it with like every single character like they're basically they have secrets and they're like letting them out yeah and it feels real like everybody is jobless like nobody's employed in this film (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) um and then of course too like the bomb dropped by eric yeah that he cheated on like I was just like, whoa! Like, hold up! Like, where did we get to this point? Yeah. But it was it was just perfectly set up. Like, it, we needed some form of like a conflict, and it fits so well because like everybody already had like these small jabs at each other, where it's like they obviously love each other, but they also kind of like hate each other and they're a little distant from each other. Yeah. And that goes back to like the tension building that I talked about earlier, where like it just now. An hour and 20 minutes in, it feels like it's worth it. It feels like we've earned that spot to be like, oh my God, something happened that like now makes them kind of angry at each other. Yeah. And I guess that brings to my one thing left that I thought was bad about this, which isn't even really a bad thing. It's just, I want to know more. Ah. Like I'm, I'm at the point now at the end of the film that like, I'm invested in their lives. Like I need to I know need what to. I need to know what happens with Amy. I need a follow. Yeah. I, need, I need a sequel. I need to know if like Richard and and Bridget are good. I need to know what happens with Eric and Deidre. Like I need to know these things. Mm. And I'm not going to. That's fine. Like I understand that. I I understand that this is kind of like an ambiguous ending, and I'm cool with that. I like ambiguous stuff. Yeah. It's just I wish I kind of got to know more. Right. But that's not even really a bad thing. That's just me being selfish of like, I'm. But you that, gave but me it, this. It's like a backhanded, it's like a pro and a con because yeah. the characters and the story was written so well that you didn't want it to end. Exactly. Where it did. And you're like, no, 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 please. Like, I need more, please. And it doesn't give you that, mm-hmm. which is kind of 
exactly what a director, a great film should leave you wanting more. Exactly. It's kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. One thing that I wanted to mention um, before I get into like the overall thematics of the film was one of my favorite scenes had me in tears. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever got emotional like during this, but I got, I I, I I got, I got in tears specifically when they were doing the pig smashing and then they read Momo's email. Yeah. That got me a little bit. That email is so heartfelt and I, you, you've had somebody in your family with dementia, right? Yeah. Like I, I literally felt this. Yeah. And I, I too, my grandfather, uh, after my grandmother died, he ended up remarrying and his second wife ended up getting Alzheimer's and the email that she delivers in which she starts saying, you know, dear Bridget and Amy, I forgot your names today and I feel bad about that. But the thing that really got me, like she, you know, there's a whole email and everything Mm -hmm. that she read, but the, the thing that really got me was the whole idea of how little and how insignificant being scared of dancing at weddings is in the grander scheme of now looking back at your life and being like, wow, I was literally terrified to dance at a wedding because I was scared of what people were going to think about me or whatever. I'm just self-conscious. And now I'm 90 years old and my brain is fucking falling apart. And I'm looking back at my life saying I should have danced more. I should have, I should have, enjoyed my life more than I did that to me was just one of the most heartbreaking pieces of fucking dialogue in a film I think I may have ever heard yeah it's so heavy I know and it it reminded me too a little bit of like when we did the father like but in the father we actually saw it with Anthony Hopkins and like in this film we just get like the email and I feel like that's a little bit more powerful because like we're in past tense now like this is the point where like Momo cannot comprehend anything anymore yeah and like we get that final stage of like when she has coherency yeah and it's just yeah i I got emotional for it like it it was very powerful to me yeah it was it's it's oh god (laughs) um okay so i have like a whole thing so Mm -hmm. i would i think that you should go first um i don't know did you write down like themes like what you took away from the movie at all yeah absolutely i mean like obviously this film is the entire thing is about like depression and anxiety just with Eric, I think trying to opening up and like the line being said where it's like, you know, when, when Richard is like, Oh, you know, I was depressed for a few years, but I'm okay now. Yeah. And he's like, well, in our family, we don't really have that. And then Amy's like, no, we have like stoic depression. Yeah. 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 And that's a very common thing. And you, you feel that again, from what I was saying before with a lot of the shots with Eric being like blurry and up close where it's like, he's in his own mind and like, He's depressed about like what we will later find out with him cheating on his wife and then the whole thing with Momo and then the whole thing of like the kids not really like talking too, too much anymore. Yeah. So it's all like depression built up altogether. And then obviously like anxiety is just like with the family of not knowing what they're going to be able to do next and like trying to figure out their lives and Bridget like actually like breaking down in the upstairs room yeah like having like an anxiety attack because it's like she just she doesn't know what she's going to do like she feels like she's hosting this thanksgiving but like they're just criticizing everything yeah yeah 
I don't I don't think there's a right or wrong answer really mm-hmm. to the the themes of this film. I really honestly believe that generally speaking everybody in this movie would kind of may have a very different takeaway mm-hmm. because it covers a gamut of so many things that you can then say you can if somebody's going through something specifically they can latch onto that and then make the whole movie like it's a it's a metaphor for this mm-hmm. um so i agree with what you're saying so some of the themes that i wrote down and then there's one thing that i really really want to say like is the overall theme but some of the things that i noticed and i was like oh wow that's interesting that these are kind of weird things that i never remember really recalling in recent films at least like done to like this degree um so there's like quick mentions of things like i i think that this movie has a lot to do with like economic insecurity yeah uh, specifically the 2008 like stock market crash like the housing crash of mm-hmm. 2008 i think eric is very very like stingy with his money yeah. he's like save 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 you have to save now i started cutting my own haircuts or i started cutting mm-hmm. my own hair to start saving money so i was like oh, okay so there's like a whole like economic thing um there's fucking 9-11 is mentioned, which I don't remember the last time I watched a movie where 9-11 was mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he literally goes like, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable with my daughter living in a city where two towers got, you know, fell. And then it kind of dives into a little bit of racism mm-hmm. with the family of how they feel about, you know, other cultures. Um, and then of course death, because that's kind of like, yeah. I would say that's kind of like the general overarching theme of, mm-hmm. of the film is it's, death. It's the hanging fruit above everything else. Yeah. And then, of course, one of the big things is faith and religion. Mm-hmm. Right. That's like kind of uh, breadcrumb throughout the entire film. Yeah. That's kind of like the thing where it's like, oh, you know, you can be depressed, but if you have religion, you're fine. You know, you if you have dementia, you'll be fine because you believe in God, like right. stuff like that. Yeah. So, but... The main thing that I took away from this, and I wrote a whole fucking paragraph, so I'm going I'm to apologize. <laughs> You're going to read off the paragraph. I, I'm literally going to read. So if it sounds like I'm reading, it's because I'm reading mm-hmm. my what I wrote. Um, so I remember about, I don't know, maybe like four years ago, I learned about something that I then, t- the other day I wrote down the actual name for it. But I thought it was very interesting because I remember learning about this concept and this theory that everything in the world basically whole like has has fingerprints on them of things that happened in the past Mm -hmm. so like the butterfly effect not not so much the butterfly effect but more or less like let's say that you go and you purchase a dinner table Mm -hmm. from a thrift store so it was donated from another family. Like every meal, yeah, gotcha. every gotcha. meal that that family had on that table is now mine. Is no, it's not now mine. But <laughs> I own that now. It is embedded in that table. Yeah, and all of the stories and the every memories. conversation that is that has happened at that table are in there. And that wood has those stories. Mm-hmm. So looking it up, that's something called panpsychism, and that's literally what the theory is. It's that these inanimate objects hold memories. And now I'm going to read what I wrote. Okay. So I wrote, although there are technically six characters in this film, I would say that there are at least seven, if not more. The apartment itself, the apartment that it's filmed in is another character. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. Um, Literally the way that this movie is filmed, every crack, every stain, the paint over jobs that happened, 
um, the squeaking from the pipes, uh, in it's all just residual memories from every other tenant that has ever lived there before. Um, the scene in where Amy is using the bathroom Mm -hmm. and she ends up turning on the faucet to cover up the sounds of her going to the bathroom. There's the camera then begins, begins to go down the wall past the floor and it ends up going to where the family is sitting. And I don't know if you noticed this, but you then see some water dripping down the wall. And that is now Amy's mark Mm -hmm. in the apartment. And it's basically saying that every family member is putting themselves into this apartment. So everything that they do is now going to live in this apartment and inside these walls. So like the the bulges that almost look like body horror, mm-hmm. they, they're bulgy and they, they it's basically just, you know, like stains and things. And it looks like it's just been painted over like six times, seven yeah. times. Well, it almost looks like it's like cocked too. Right. And it's just like bulgy <laughs> and it's filmed in a way that it, it, again, it feels like a horror film. Like those cracks in the walls feel like you're trying to cover up the past and the the noises and the sounds and the cracks are the past trying to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally those, those like those bulges feel like they're trying to like explode and release themselves. Um, and I think that the, the apartment is kind of also representing where the, what the family is currently hiding from one another because everything's trying to be covered up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this double metaphor. Um, and then basically I just wrote that, you know, why is this filmed? Why is this movie filmed like a horror movie? Because in a sense it is there. Well, it is, but it's not a horror film in the, you know, in the traditional sense, of course there is no, there, there are no ghosts and goblins and monsters in the film, but there is yeah because all of these past memories are these ghosts and and it's filmed like that and it's filmed like a horror movie because in a way we are seeing you know essentially what we're watching is a current day what's going on in this apartment but then in 50 years from now all of those memories are going to of Bridget and her family are going to be in that apartment mm-hmm and then the next family is going to be living there and they're going to have all those memories on top of everything else that's been on, you know, in there. Um, and the one thing that I just wanted to mention was I really thought that the use of mirrors was really interesting because mm-hmm. there's so many shots of mirrors, but the thing is, it's like, what are those, what do those mirrors represent? Because from watching it the first time and the second time, I don't believe you ever see anybody actually look into the mirror and look at themselves. No, it's always just kind of like a, a side shot. A, a, a glancing blow, like a glancing, you know, they walk by it. They, uh, they open, you know, it, the, the mirror is on, on the opposite side of the door and they just, you know, they close the door and they keep walking. Nobody ever looks into that and it's like, okay, well, why? Mm-hmm. And I think that really just comes down to nobody wants to see themselves in those mirrors because they're afraid of what they're going to see. And because everybody's hiding something in this movie and they, nobody can actually look at themselves. And I thought that was really interesting because um, the boyfriend, what, whatever his name, Richard, Richard, Richard's little story about his favorite comic book being about the monsters telling the stories of, 
humans because the human stories are like their horror stories to the mm-hmm. monsters and us as humans are the monsters. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, Quasar, go pick it up. Quasar, yeah. <laughs> it's uh I I really really felt this movie profoundly and mm-hmm. of course there's a million other things and again nothing feels unintentional. Like there's a really quick scene of a cockroach yeah. that like runs across the it's like okay, why is that cockroach there? I don't know. If I'm taking a shot in the dark, I would imagine that it's because cockroaches can survive like basically everything and anything mm-hmm. and they live for hundreds of years. It's like that I would assume that that means something. Yeah. I mean to even, the story. Even to at the end with like Eric when like he's stumbling around in the dark and you get like again that one piece of the wall that's been like painted over and like caulked mm-hmm. over and it kind of like bubbles out at yeah. him a little bit. You can say that's like partially paranoia slash dementia because it's like he's seeing his mother go through it all and it's like dementia unfortunately is hereditary so it's like you he probably could get it at some point too and with everything that's going on like it's just like his his mental health like is just deteriorating where he's seeing like something coming at him or he's seeing like the the faceless woman right so you can break down everything in this film and you can come to a million different conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a concrete answer to anything, but I do think I do think that I can concretely say that this movie is incredible. Mm-hmm. Nine and a half pig smashing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so good. Um, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it. I was a little nervous mm. that you weren't going to like I like it. boring movies. I wouldn't say this movie's boring. It's not, <laughs> but like to a traditional person, like this would be boring. <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was incredible. I'm glad that we watched it. Um and yeah, so uh, anyway, I have a recommendation now. Well, what could that be? I wonder. So I mentioned it uh, previously. I th- I don't think I I don't think I use this as a recommendation. Well, anyway, I'm going to recommend Euphoria specifically now, season two that just came out. Yeah, you just talked about it, but you yeah. didn't recommend it. Yeah, so uh, it's on HBO. Um, I'm going to say again, an unnecessary amount of penis is shown in the sh- in the film, and also boobs. Like there's just. Mm-hmm. It, it really just feels like, hey, we're allowed to show this, so let's just show it. Yeah. I don't need to see that much <laughs> dick. I just don't. Um, but I'm interested in, in in the story, and uh, season or episode one of season two just dropped, and it did not disappoint. Um, it has turned things up to 11, and the show is honestly just a feast for the eyes. It's so beautifully shot. Uh, specifically, season one, the carnival episode is absolutely probably one of the most beautiful things I've seen ever. It's so beautiful. Mm. Uh, so I recommend euphoria. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's all about drug use and drug addiction and sex and teenagers and all this craziness. Uh, but it is a really intense show that I think is worth watching. So it's like MTV skins. I've never seen Skins, but I've heard of Skins, and I heard that there's a lot of nudity in that. Oh, there is. The, yeah. the British version is much better, though. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I recommend Euphoria. I think it's worth it. Uh, it's on HBO Max. So, that's my recommendation. Very Zach, nice. what are we doing next? Well, Frank, we've talked a lot about how good family can be, but uh, I like to talk about the bad guys. <laughs> so, for our discussion, I want to talk about films that the protagonists are actually the bad guys. Okay. Like, they are the people that are evil, and whether you see it or you don't, that's who they are. A villain protagonist. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, Zachary, take us out. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Now, Frank, dance more than I did. <laughs>